Welcome to C3 Church, Queen's Beach. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoyed this message today. Uh, well, just before I begin uh, my message this morning, I really just want to take an opportunity uh, just to you know, honour Nicole and Steve. Uh, you know, we had our sixth birthday a couple of weeks ago. Uh, six years, you know, that's... That's amazing. Um, It's really incredible. And the word I had for you guys was pioneers of the faith. Uh, And, and, you know, in the current context that we're in, it's not easy to stay the course, I think, as a Christian, but even more so as a a leader, a church leader. And so we want to thank you so much. Uh, We just love you. Uh, We really thank you for your integrity and even just uh, your steadfastness to stay the course, to keep the faith. And to lead us with such beautiful wisdom, we, we thank you for that. We've actually got a, a gift for you, and so we just want to present that to you this morning. Can we just give it up for Nicole and Steve, our beautiful, beautiful pastors? And we know, Nicole, you've been uh, working on the whole plant flowers thing, so, you know, I think those will stay for a while, don't you reckon? Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much. We love you guys very much. We're so thankful for you. <laughs> You know, we spend a lot of time in life waiting, right? Uh, waiting can bring up many emotions in us, depending on what it is we're waiting for. So maybe you're getting impatient waiting uh, at the line uh, in the, the supermarket. Maybe you get impatient waiting for that delicious meal that you've ordered at your favorite restaurant. You're excited to, uh, waiting at a wedding for the bride to arrive. You know, that feeling of anticipation. Sadness, waiting uh, for, to tell someone bad news. Happiness, waiting to tell someone uh, good news, which we all love to give that. Uh, loneliness, you know, waiting to uh, fall pregnant. Nervousness, waiting to start something. Anxious, waiting for a medical result, exam result. Did you get that job, that house, that promotion at work? What about at the petrol station? You can feel irritated or elated depending on how long you have to wait at the petrol station, right? I mean, come on, maybe, maybe it's just me that does this, but if you're getting petrol on a, on a day that's cheap, everyone else in Perth is getting it as well. And so you get there and you decide very quickly, which line will I have to wait the least amount of time in? And sometimes you get it so right. Sometimes I just, I get it right. And it's kind of a bit in me that if I, if I get ahead of someone else who's been waiting longer, I kind of feel a little bit good about that. I'm like, hey, that's right. I picked the right line. But then again, I, sometimes I get it very wrong. And it's like the person in front of me on their way to paying for their petrol has decided to purchase a bunch of items that they could get in a supermarket a lot cheaper anyway. So why are they doing this? I don't know. The point is... Waiting brings up lots of different emotions. And here's one that I'm sure we can all relate to. Frustration or even anger. As we wait in faith, believing for something that doesn't turn out the way we thought it would. And over the past year in our current context with the pandemic and other things that have been happening, you may very well have experienced, experienced this. Waiting longer for something to happen than you, you had expected. No matter what season of life we're in, we're usually waiting on God in certain areas of our lives, right? So today I'm talking specifically about those things we're waiting on God for. And as Christians, we, we will navigate the space of waiting on God uh, to, to move in certain areas of our lives. And so my question to you this morning is, what are you waiting on God for? What are you waiting on God for? Get something specific in your mind as we're going through this this morning. In the Bible, we read 
many stories of people who were waiting on God. So we've got Abraham and Sarah who waited 25 years for God's promise to be fulfilled, for a son to be born. Uh, Joseph waited about 12 years or so in prison. Caleb and Joshua waited to enter the promised land, but not before 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because of Israel's lack of faith. I would be so annoyed if that was me having to wait 40 years and wandering in the desert. It's terrible. Uh, David waited to be king at the God-appointed time. So yes, he was anointed, but then he had to wait a number of years uh, before actually becoming king. Esther waited for the right moment to speak to the king about a plot to uh, kill her own people. So she waited with intention. We're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. Daniel waited in prayer, you know, risking his life in a foreign land to honor God. And Jesus, Jesus waited to begin his public ministry, which didn't start until he was about 30 years old. And so in all of these examples, we see that God is working in the waiting. And God is working in your waiting. He's working in your waiting. He wants you to trust him that he is working and moving supernaturally in seasons of waiting to bring about his purposes and his plans in and through your life. And if you think God isn't working in your waiting, then can I suggest maybe those roots aren't quite going down deep enough? And Pastor Jay's talked about that a couple of weeks ago here, you know, about our roots going down deep. That means prayer, Bible, uh, being a part of this community of faith, which helps to get those roots going down deep. And so if you identify this for yourself today, it's time to partner again with God's promises because God is working in your waiting. Come on, can I hear an amen? This is, this is God talking to you this morning. Today, I really want to highlight uh, Abraham and Sarah's journey of waiting. And Abraham's wife, Sarah, was 90 years old and Abraham was 100 when, uh, they, when she gave birth to their son, Isaac. But before this were many years of waiting. In Genesis 15, 4 to 5, God promised Abraham a male heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. The waiting game begins. So a significant period of time went by as Abraham and Sarah waited for the heir God had promised, about 10 years. And remember, this comes after years where Sarah had already remained barren. So when God's giving Abraham this promise, Abraham himself is like mid-70s. So think about that. It's not like they're at the beginning of their marriage and that was promised. This is already years after they have waited And so we're going to pick up here from Genesis 16, starting at verse 1. So at this stage, uh, Abraham is Abram and Sarah is Sarai. God hasn't uh, changed their names yet. So now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Probably not a great move. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. So this was an an ancient custom of that time to ensure the birth of a male heir. But what's happened is that Sarah, having waited uh, and remaining barren up to this point, 
wavers in her faith and really displays a mistrust that God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. And she now comes up with this pragmatic solution to what she feels God is withholding from her, attempting to provide a solution by human means. Hmm, sound familiar? We don't do that, do we? Uh, You know, as humans, we have that tendency to try to control situations and circumstances rather than trusting God with his timetable. I know I do, that's for sure. And this means if we're not careful that we may, like Sarah, try to provide by human means outside of God's intended plan for our lives. But what have we been waiting for what seems like forever? I mean, wasn't Sarah just being practical, taking action, using common sense? I'm not suggesting we just sit idly by in our waiting and do nothing. Uh, I'm going to expand on that one later. But ultimately, we are called to a life of faith. It's faith. It's not knowing everything and having all the boxes ticked. It means trusting God in the waiting, trusting God to answer our prayers and the promises he's given us on his terms, not ours. I'm not saying that this is easy or that it isn't sometimes even painful to find yourselves in seasons of waiting, especially when it exceeds our understanding of when that thing should happen. But faith calls us to believe that God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he said he is going to do. Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is confidence in what we hope for and it's assurance about what we do not see. And so in the waiting game, God wants us to trust him. And from this part of Sarah and Abraham's story, uh, we've got a few lessons here for us. The first one is, don't take matters into your own hands. Sarah tried to make the next thing happen. So she was trying to do things on her terms. And in times of waiting, you know, God wants us to Keep doing what he's put in front of us to do and trust him that he's going to actually guide us and lead us in the steps he wants us to take in the natural as we partner with him in that season. So for some of you, as I was preparing this message, I felt God wanted to say to you, you need to get on my page. Uh, Stop trying to force your way onto another page. Stop trying to turn the page that I haven't asked you to turn. Get on the page that I have for you. Seek me to come back into line with my agenda, my will and my plan for your life. Stop taking matters into your own hands and expecting blessing in that space. Get on my page to get my perspective and receive an anointing that enables you to persevere as you wait on me. Psalm 25, 1, in you, Lord my God... I put my trust. Some of you need to be repeating those words this week. The second point is don't dwell on what you're waiting for. Dwell on him. So Sarah was dwelling on what she didn't have. Her focus was on the circumstance rather than on God's promise for a son to be born. So she was her, her identity was I'm childless, I'm barren. What we choose to focus on and the, the mindsets that we allow and then dwell on really impact the words that we speak uh, and reveal what's really in our heart. For example, if there is offense, uh, fear, unforgiveness in us, you know, our words often carry an essence of that in those conversations we have. So it's really important that we're dwelling on God rather than the circumstances by filling our mind with His thoughts 
from the Word of God, from the Bible. And so this shields us against disappointment that aims to discourage us in seasons of waiting and wants to draw us ultimately away from God where we are tempted to take matters into our own hands because we don't have His perspective and because we're not filling our mind with things of God. And so dwelling or meditating on the life-giving words and the truths that we find in the Bible challenges us to have His words on our mind and on our lips more often. Dwelling on God is going to strengthen you in your season of waiting. You're not going to be strengthened if you're not dwelling on Him. It's that's just the way it is. We need Him. We need His thoughts to be able to walk in His ways. We need those thoughts to be alive on the inside of us as we wait. Third point, don't compare. Don't compare. No, Sarah comes up with this plan for Abraham to sleep with her maidservant Hagar. And it's important to note that Abraham doesn't offer any resistance to this. So it says, the scripture says, Abram agreed. We disagreed to what Sarai said. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. So it's not actually only Sarah's failure of faith, but it really shows that Abraham a mistrust that he had in God as well. Uh, and a failure of his faith too. So here's what happens. Genesis 16, 4-5. When she, Hagar, knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, Sarah. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. You are responsible. I put my slave in your arms and now she knows she is pregnant. She, uh, she despises me. So there's a couple of things here. On the one hand, you've got... Uh, Abraham's failure to act as a spiritual leader and reassure uh, Sarah that, no, actually, God's got this and uh, he's going to do it in his timing. Let's trust him. But also Sarah's playing the blame game. Well, she's not acknowledging her part to play in this. She's not acknowledging that they're in this mess also because of her actions and her decisions. And so the pain of being barren only is now amplified for both of them. And we see this contempt develop between Sarah and Hagar, uh, which escalates. It says in verse 6, then Sarah mistreated Hagar. And in fact, this rivalry between Sarah and Hagar continues years after Hagar's given birth. There's this, this era of comparison going on between them now. As they, uh, There's this discontentment with the other as they're comparing what they didn't have with what the other one had. So Sarah, childless... You know, while her maidservant, Hagar, uh, bears the child she desperately wants to give her husband. And then Hagar uh, her, you know, bears this child, but her status as a female slave, even though uh, she must have been trustworthy enough to be raised into a position of some importance as uh, Sarah's maidservant, you know, she, she's now still in a position of weakness. You know, she's alone and, and with no rights as a slave. So, you know, when we're waiting on God for something... We can get trapped into comparing what we don't have with what someone else does. Uh, so as we compare, if we're comparing, that discontentment grows in us and festers and creates like bitterness and resentment. So it creates like a barrier to us fully trusting God because now we're asking, well, why does that person have that and I don't? Well, God, you must not be moving uh, in my life, but you're moving in their life to make that happen. Why did this happen to them and not me? We've all done it, right? <laughs> Maybe it's just me. <laughs> uh, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? It comes back to partnering with God's promises. And that means agreeing with what God says in his word. It means agreeing with what God says in his word so that we can be aligned with his thinking. So what is God saying to you in this season? Hmm, it's a bit like that, isn't it? <laughs> You know, what are you holding on to in your season of waiting? Have you got a promise from God 
what is it? Have you, have you looked at this, this to find out? What's the promise of God you're holding on to and you're waiting? So God works to bring about his wonderful plan in every area of our lives. But this is going to look different for all of us. So we don't want to be comparing to one another. We want to be focused on trusting in his word. That's the first thing. And applying it as we follow his direction for our lives. Although I must say, yes, we're following his direction for our lives, but we're doing it within the context of community. We're not on some solo mission trying to do our own thing. We're in community so that we can also get accountability and guidance, wise counsel in what we're doing as well. So just a little side note there. Uh, The fourth point I want to make is don't rely on your expectation of God's plans. So it's clear to me that Sarah, I think, had an idea of how things were going to turn out. She had an idea of the timing of what uh, this, this promised son and when he was going to be born. She had an expectation, if you like, of the timetable of God's plans. And this is very much our human nature. We often have an expectation of how and when God will do things in certain areas of our lives. And the longer we wait on God for something where we're relying on our expectation of how that should happen or when it should happen, we're actually creating a breeding ground for disappointment. So we need to continually come back to uh, this place of surrender of our agenda. You like that? Surrender of our agenda. I thought that was pretty great. And put our trust and hope in his plans. And part of this is actually changing our thinking that we know better. Pride, that old pride, old friend pride. Our creator God knows what's best for us. And he has our best interests in mind. I'm going to say that again. Our creator God knows what's best for us. And he has our best interests in mind. Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's encouraging to know that he has all the puzzle pieces. (laughs) So we don't need to know everything, even though we want to. It's about trusting trusting in him in that waiting. The fifth point I want to make is don't rush the process. Don't rush the process. So there's usually a gap between the promise he gives us and the fulfillment of that promise, right? So certainly we see this throughout Scripture in numerous occasions. And and it's easy for us to get weary in the waiting, uh, particularly when we're waiting for things for a long time. And so, you know, uh, we get weary and then we're trying to make things happen because we're trying to speed up the process, trying to speed up what's going to happen. But God wants us to trust him in that process. He's seeing a theme here about trusting in God. You know, God is working your waiting. So, you, you know, he wants us to trust in him. He wants us to trust that he's got it in hand. Uh, so in the gap between the promise and the fulfillment is a strengthening, right? And an equipping for when the wait, waiting period is over. So I think sometimes when God gives us a promise, uh, we're not actually necessarily ready for the fulfillment of that. Yeah, so, so there's, a, there's a, a training ground happening in here in this middle space and we have to learn to, to get content with that because he, and know that it actually means so that when we get to that fulfillment, we're ready to receive it and ready for the next chapter that God has for us beyond that. And so when the promise comes uh, and we, we, we can understand that there is a process to that, don't rush that because it's important in accomplishing his plan for you along the way. What about when you're waiting on God 
<laughs> and you're believing in faith for something to happen and it doesn't happen or it, it just turns out completely differently. It's the opposite of what you're praying for. It's the opposite. You know, you're praying for something. What about that friend you're waiting to see healed of cancer? I mean, you were, you believed, you, you know, you were fasting and praying for them. Maybe you had other people praying with you. Uh, you were declaring, you were interceding for physical healing. Your friend doesn't make it. And we, we know there's many other scenarios uh, as well that you will have gone through. You know, you waited. You've kept the faith. But things turned out so differently. You were faithful in the waiting. The situation's gone completely uh, it's, it's happened completely unexpectedly. You were thinking it's going to be a certain way. It turns out to be something else. It's not easy, but <laughs> we need to come back to it doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change who God is. It doesn't mean he hasn't heard our prayers. Uh, it, it doesn't mean he isn't faithful to his promises just because what we believe for doesn't happen. You know, we know that we live in a broken world. We're living in a fallen humanity. We know that sin, sickness, death are a part uh, of, of what we're living in. And this is why Jesus had to come. This is why Jesus had to come to rescue us from brokenness and make a way for us to have that relationship with God. A, a part of that, which is a gift, the gift of eternal life. So we're never going to have all the answers this side of eternity to why things happen a certain way. And, and so we will wait on God for things that may not happen the way we think it should, uh, the way we thought it should, or in our timeline. But if our faith is founded upon who God is and not what we get from Him, or the or, or if our faith isn't founded upon what well, it's only going to be if the outcome of my situation is the way I think it should be, uh, if we choose to align our thinking with His, if we trust His sovereignty, we can wait well and we will be victorious in our living out of our faith because we're waiting with integrity and grace at come what may, come what may, because it doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change who God is. Yeah, the circumstance is not great maybe, but it doesn't change God's who God is. He is good. He is faithful. And so Abraham and, and Sarah, they, they showed this impatience, this mistrust, this reasoning with a, a limited human mindset in a response to a struggle of faith. And so here's something interesting. Hebrews 11.11 11 says, And by faith even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. I didn't, I quite, when I first <laughs> saw that, I thought, what? I'm not quite sure I understand that, Lord. And this is the same person who in Genesis 18 laughs. She laughs and then she lies and says, I didn't laugh, but she did. Uh, when God reaffirms to Abraham that Sarah, as an almost 90-year-old now, is going to conceive and give birth to their son. So what God showed me through this is, uh, you know, wavering in faith doesn't mean we have no faith, uh, but rather we go through moments of unbelief and mistrust like Sarah and Abraham. What's important to remember, though, is that the decisions we make in those moments of wavering can have lasting consequences, uh, particularly choices that take us outside of God's plan and intention for us. And certainly we see that with Abraham and Sarah. There were lasting consequences to their actions. But the encouragement here is that the wavering doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change his promises or his faithfulness to fulfill what he said he was going to do and, and so those things that we are waiting for on God for are not ultimately brought about because of anything we're doing, but because of who He is, 
because of who he is. Isn't it comforting to know that your weaknesses, uh, your wavering, uh, your mistrust hasn't disqualified you from God's promises? Come on, isn't it comforting to know that your weaknesses and your wavering and your mistrust hasn't disqualified you from God's promises? Isn't that good to know? Yes, if you've wavered in the waiting, it's not the end of the story. I've, I've wavered in my faith. Okay, my wavering didn't lead me to take the actions that... Abraham and Sarah took, which I'm sure now that I say that, you're very relieved to hear that. But I've still wavered because wavering can be a thought. God can't do that. That's never going to happen. Oh, it's for them, not me. We think of wavering of faith in the waiting game, but that's it. That's the end of the, it's the, end of the story, you know. But uh, God is so much bigger than that. <laughs> God is so much bigger than that. And as we acknowledge our mistrust and we humble ourselves and we repent before him and we're dwelling on him rather than the circumstance, we will see his plans and his purpose. Purposes prevail in our lives. So as we continue to read about Abraham and Sarah, we see a gracious God standing firm on his promise and fulfilling his plan to give them an heir, a son, in spite of their weakness and faith. Genesis 21 1 to 2, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. (laughs) I just love that. This is awesome. So I'm not sure what you're waiting on God for. But he wants you to know today that he is at work in your waiting. Maybe it doesn't feel like it. Maybe it doesn't even look like it. But God is moving in the midst of your waiting to bring answers to your prayers and fulfillment to the promises that he's given you over your life. And so I urge you today, church, let's partner again with the promises of God. Let's put our trust in him who is sovereign and who is able to provide in any and every circumstance. Hebrews 10, verse 23, can I ask the keys to come up, please? In the Amplified Translation, an encouragement for you today, please take this with you as you leave this morning. Let us seize and hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. You know, I'm not sure where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. I I don't know how you've come in here today. And perhaps you've never considered faith. You've never considered Christianity. Maybe you once lived for Jesus, but you can't say in this moment you're still walking with him. Here's the good news. There's one thing we don't have to wait for, and that's to be saved by Jesus Christ. (laughs) Because salvation is here. Come on, salvation is here. And he's already made a way for us to receive this gift through his death and resurrection. God sent Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life and die a sinner's death so that we might now have a personal relationship with him. And this relationship means we're forgiven. We're given grace to live a godly life. This relationship means we have purpose and significance. We're not just here by mistake. We're not just surviving But we're thriving like Pastor Nicole talked to us about last week. This relationship with Jesus means we have an eternal hope. Death is not the end. And so you don't have to wait until you feel good enough or sinless enough. or You have to wait till you have it all together or you understand all of what it means to be a Christian. The waiting for salvation is already complete. 
Salvation is ready for us to step into, to receive Jesus in our hearts, giving our past to him and moving forward to live a victorious future. Jesus has already paid the price for your sin and he did it for this moment (laughs) when you make the choice. Jesus, I'm giving you my heart. Jesus, I'm giving all that I am to you just as I am with all of my stuff. I want to know you personally. I want to live a life of purpose and significance where I'm thriving in my life, not just surviving. And so if you're here this morning, you feel that's you. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus' invitation to be saved. Uh, It's not my invitation. This is Jesus' invitation to you personally. The waiting time is over uh, and it's time now to surrender to him. And so can everyone across this place close their eyes just for a couple of moments? Please close your eyes across this place. If this is you, if you're making a decision to invite Jesus into your heart or you are coming back to Jesus after being away from him, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'll see it. I'll acknowledge it. And you can place your hand back down again. And raising your hand means I can celebrate with you and we can partner with you to provide support in your next steps of faith. And so on the count of three, if this is you, uh, I'm going to get you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Is there anyone here this morning making that decision to follow Jesus for the first time? Are you coming back? Thank you. You can put your hand down. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Is there anyone else this morning making that decision, coming to Jesus for the first time or you're coming back to him? Thank you, mighty God. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. You are so good. That's awesome. We're going to say a prayer together. You can repeat this after me. Maybe you didn't place your hand up, you know, but I encourage you to say these words. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus, for his life, death, and resurrection on the cross. Jesus, today I ask you to come into my heart. I declare you are my Savior and Lord. From this moment on, forgive me for the wrong things I've done. Fill me with your love and help me to do this life with you as my Lord. Amen. Thank you, church. Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more of our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, head to c3hh.com.au forward slash give.